Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special holy edition of Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. Folks, it's Holy Week. Worthy is Lamb who was slain. Holy, holy is He. And we've been reflecting here throughout the last few weeks that Lent is not an end in itself. It really marks, as we talk about that empty fill and overflow, it marks kind of that empty movement, right? It marks that um, recognition of the debris, the stuff, the junk that stands in the way of that Niagara Falls of Grace that God wants to flood us with. But it's not an end. We're emptied so we can be filled. And not just filled for a wonderful feast day on Easter. What's the goal of it all? The goal is that we come out of the desert with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is an ultimate sign of intimacy. Each of us have this deepest longing to love and to be loved. And uh, that's only possible if we get rid of the junk. Here's my heart, Lord. Here's my So I really encourage you, as you're listening to this radio program right now, if you have not had a really good occasion to apologize to those whom you really need to apologize to, and to forgive those whom you really need to forgive, and I'll even add to this, taking from the book we speak of often, Unbound, by Neil Lozano, that process of renouncing. What are those whispers in your life? Those things that haunt you, that you've just become comfortable with living with. Bitterness, contempt, uh, anger, unkindness, lust, pride. We've all got them. Each of us have them. What are those things in your life? And do you have the practice of simply saying, in the name of Jesus Christ, lust, in the name of Jesus Christ, I renounce you. Go through them all. Here's my heart, Lord. I'm actually down in Florida with my two youngest daughters spending some very special prayer time. A friend invited us to join him and his family. And so I've kind of relocated work down here. And it is just a really blessing to see the ocean, see some dolphins, the whole deal. Stephanie and the others could not make it because of work schedules. In any event, because of that, um, we're very blessed to share with you tonight a wonderful talk in the Lenten, Christian Lenten Leadership Series sponsored by Rich Cronin in Perrysburg Auto Mall. Four wonderful Fridays in Lent. Rich hosted these at his headquarters. We're going to hear right now is a very dear friend and brother, no stranger to those of the Annunciation Radio or Mass Impact, Peter Herbeck. He's going to talk about true leadership tonight. And For more information about this movement, of course, go to massimpact.us. Set aside that time this week to talk and pray with your family. There's no greater gift then the Eucharist outpoured from Mass into your marriage, into your home. Receive the gift. MassImpact.us. You can get the free app. makes it very easy to talk and pray as families. It is a game changer. It truly can uh, make our Catholic homes uh, vibrant and alive and introduce us to God all the more in our relationships. With no further ado, here's Peter. Here's my Good afternoon. I always, I'm always surprised that, you know, these Ohio, how many Ohio State Buckeye fans are in the room? Can I see a show of hands? 
There's a few, huh? Okay, we'll pray for you right now just for a few minutes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I always find it interesting that guy, people are willing to invite somebody from the evil empire up north in Ann Arbor to come down because what good could possibly come from that place, right? My producer, actually, for my radio show, uh, Fire in the Earth, is on WTKA 1050 AM radio. He's a sports guy, and he works with Michigan. So I, I, about a month ago, I said, you know, we ought to get Harbaugh on this show. I'd like to interview him. I heard he's growing in his faith a little bit. I'd like to put him on the spot. And then two weeks later, when I came to the show, he goes, he's game. We'll do it this summer sometime. How about that? Well, if it's any good, then we'll see if we can get Urban Meyer on, too, because he's a Catholic, right? <laughs> any guys know Urban? That's why I'm here. Anybody know Urban Meyer? <laughs> I'm, okay, nobody. All right. Uh, it is a joy to be here. Uh, thank you very much. It's, uh, I like the topic very much on leadership. I don't consider myself at all an expert on leadership, like maybe a guy like Mike McCartney who spends his life training leaders and raising leaders up and mentoring and coaching them and all that kind of stuff, um, uh, has a lot to say about it. But I tell you what, I came across a book not too long ago that, that part of what I'm saying today is based on. It's called True Leadership. And it's put together by an institute at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota. And talking about, it talks about leadership in a way that I felt it, I've known it, but have never quite articulated. And so I want to do that with you today. I'm going to leave you with a simple definition that's taken from this book on leadership and then break down different elements of it. And hopefully it'll lead to a fruitful discussion for us because, you know, you notice how, how much of it, um, how much interest there is out there in society on leadership. You know, all you have to do is spend a little time in a bookstore at an airport, right? And there's constant, there's books all over the place. So there's the, the newest book on being a leader and they get gobbled up because leadership is really important, right? And what I want, I want to talk a little bit to begin with as to why it's so important. I mean, fundamentally, leadership's important because it's God's idea. Did you know that? I mean, it's the order in which God has set up reality. And ultimately, and one of the things this book brings to mind is that there really is one fundamental leader. There's one leader. And everybody else is following that leader. And to know that is to understand something about the nature of our leadership. The one leader is God himself in Christ Jesus. All true leadership. There's a difference between leadership and true leadership. Because true leadership flows from the one leader, God himself. God sent his son into the world. He sent him for a purpose. And he sent him to lead he sent him to bring the human race from point A to point B. He sent his son to lead us from slavery to freedom. But think about it this way. Every single human being is a contingent being. What does that mean? Contingent. Depends on another, right? Every one of us were born little babies. We're born into the world and is, that's the perfect image of just how dependent we are. And so we don't even come into this world on our own. It's a work of God, and it's, and it's the work of two loving people that bring us into the world. We don't bring ourselves into the world. We don't define who we are. We're, we're essentially created beings. We're creatures. And by virtue of being creatures, we're dependent and we come to learn who we are, why we're here, and where we're going. And leadership is exercised in the world, and it's God's plan and intention 
that leaders can answer those questions. And we're, we're, we're creatures born into this world and we're born on the way. We're going somewhere. Right? Where are we going? Most people don't know exactly where we're going. We're made for something. We were created and designed for a purpose and for an end. And there's that very truth that's fundamental to our nature is being contested every day on earth. And contested how? How is it being contested? That truth. Between the battle of the two kingdoms, between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And so we see in our world all the time, emerging more and more, uh, we're here by accident, there's no purpose, there's no design, there's no God, there's no creator. It's a fundamental assault on reality itself and God's reality, that God made us, we belong to Him, we're made for a purpose, and we're given an identity in that creation, and our identity and our destiny are tied together. Right? So God, had, God sent forth His Son into the world, and we're thinking about this season of Lent. The reason we're meeting now is because it's Lent, and we're walking with Jesus on His passion, in His passion. He's the leader of the universe. He literally is. And a true leader is going to lead in a way that aligns with and is consistent with where the true leader is going. All true leadership is a participation in Christ's leadership over God's creation. Does that make sense? We don't see too many books like that at the airport, but it's really important. It's a, it's, in fact, it's... It's, what, it's the most fundamental thing about leadership. So Jesus came to say, to help us understand who we are, where we've come from, and how we can successfully reach the fundamental goal for which we were created, our destiny. No human being on their own can come into the fulfillment of the destiny for which they were made. They need help. They need leadership. And all good leaders participate, as I said, in that leadership of Christ. Let me give you a simple definition. You can write down the elements of this, of true leadership. And I'm just going to scratch the surface on this stuff because there's a lot to it. But hopefully it will, it will be the basis of ongoing reflection for you as well in, in applying to your own leadership and evaluating and understanding your own leadership in a new way. So, point one. All leadership is a participation in the leadership of Jesus Christ, number one. Number two, all leadership involves the exercise of influence. That's kind of self-evident, right? I'm going to take it slow so you can get it down, because I'm a really slow writer, and I always hate it when they jump to the next point, and then I get halfway through the point, and then I try to get that point, and I get half of that point, and I never get it until I get, you know, get on mass impact. Maybe that's the strategy, get everybody to mass impact. <laughs> Okay, all true leadership is participation in the leadership of Jesus Christ. It involves the exercise of influence. Number two, number three, it moves others toward goodness and toward the kingdom of God. 
it moves others toward goodness in the kingdom of God. And number four, it respects the proper dignity of those who are being led. It respects the proper dignity of those who are being led. And number five, it works through the whole spiritual and moral being of the leader. There's a big mouthful there. But I'm only going to ask a couple of you to get up and repeat it, so don't worry. <laughs> the odds of you having to do it are, are, are slim and low. Number five, it works through the whole spiritual and the moral being of the leader. Let me review them again real quick. All true leadership is participation in the leadership of Jesus Christ, the one true leader, the fundamental leader of the universe. Number two, it involves the exercise of influence. Number three, it moves others toward goodness and the kingdom of God. Number four, it respects the proper dignity of being led, and number f of those being led. And number five, it works through the whole spiritual and moral being of the leader. Okay? Are you, are you sufficiently dazed or glazed over at this point, you guys? You just got something to eat? All right, Jesus, uh, there's a wonderful story that we all know from the Gospels where uh, religious leaders and others are kind of trying to trip Jesus up at one point. And they try to trip him up by saying, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? What's the dilemma that they're trying to get Jesus? What's the trap that they're setting for Jesus in that? Do you guys remember? What's Jesus facing right there? You've got the Jewish people, you've got the Pharisees, you've got those who are following Jesus. So what's the issue there? What are they, how are they trying to get him to stumble? You're going to follow God or you're going to follow Caesar? Yeah. Right, right, right. You're going to say, you're going to tell us the religious people that we should pay taxes to Caesar? But if you don't pay taxes to Caesar, what are you saying? Are you undermining, you refusing to recognize Caesar's leadership? And so Jesus, as always, in his wisdom and in his leadership, he answers the question in a way that turns it back on them. And he says, uh, give me, a, give me a, you know, how do you pay taxes? Well, with your coins. Well, why don't you give me the coin whose image is on the coin, he says. Whose image is on the coin? They say, it's Caesar's image. He says, okay, if Caesar's image is stamped on the coin, it means that the coin belongs to Caesar. Right? So Jesus said, then give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But the real issue in the world and the real issue they needed to lay hold of is, who do they belong to? Literally, who do I belong to? You bear an image. You have a stamp. The word that's used, the word that's used, the Greek word talks about, uh, that we use for uh, image would be character. The character of something is stamped. Or icon, the, the Greek word icon, it talks about image and likeness. And so every single person, every human being has been stamped with what? In God's image you're created, right? So if you're created with a particular image, that image was stamped on you, and you bear the image of the one who sent you, and so your identity and your purpose, your destiny, everything is tied up in that image that you are. It's the point Jesus is trying to make. And what Jesus has come to do is to get to speak the truth about who we are so we can actually lay hold of our identity and begin to live in that identity. And that identity, again, is tied to where we're going, to our purpose. And the, the reason the Son of Man came into the world 
And the reason we're walking with him through, through Lent, friends, is we're going to go, where are we going to go in Lent? We're going to end up where in Lent? We're going to end up on Calvary, aren't we? And so he literally gives us his great testimony as this leader who's laying down his life for us. He's communicating to us from the cross. And he's saying, look at me and you'll understand who you are and how you were called to live. He said, look at me. Why am I hanging on this cross? Why is Jesus hanging on the cross? To redeem us from our sins. So he's showing us something about our own heart, right? Our own hearts. My heart and your heart. That inside me, at the core of my being, is a, is a deep dissonance and a conflict. And that conflict is between whether I'm going to live in the image of a son of God or whether I'm going to create my own image and go my own way. And it's what Scripture calls the sin problem, right? I want to, I want to do what I want to do more than I want to do what God has made me to do and made me to be. And then he reveals to us, well, what does it mean to live in the image of God? This is what's so amazing about the crucifixion. And he's such a true leader. He's telling us the truth about our life and the only way to reach our ultimate goal and fulfillment is to do what? He's hanging on the cross and he's saying, the only way for you to reach fulfillment as a human being and to live in your identity is to surrender your life in trust to the one who made you and the one who holds your life in his hands, even to the point of death. He'd say, wisdom, sanity, living living a life that makes sense being able to reach happiness, he's telling you and me from the cross, the only way to get there, it's not just about good techniques, it's not just about good principles, the only way you're going to get there is if you entrust your whole heart and your whole life to the one who made you. And he's telling us, you can take this to the bank, because in human eyes, we look at him and say, well, there's a failed leader. He's hanging naked on a cross and he's bleeding. He's dying a horrible death. He's being mocked and ridiculed by everybody. Most of his band that was following him have split. They don't want to be publicly associated with him at this moment. And he's hanging on the cross and he's speaking the truth to the human race at its deepest level. What are you afraid of? You're afraid of failing. You're afraid of dying. You don't know what the future is. You don't have to be afraid of anything. Trust me, I'm your leader. I know. I know where I've come from and I know where I'm going. And don't let the circumstances of this situation cause you to run scared and to forget who you are. Because I'm telling you, the place to be with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is to do whatever the Father tells you. Why? Because He made you. He made you, and he made you to be happy with him forever. And I'm telling you, this is the only way for you to get there. So we live in a world where leaders are trying to tell people how to be happy all the time. Come follow me. Come buy this good GMC truck, and you're going to be... Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Sorry about that. Right? So 
in this room is filled with leaders of different kinds. You know, we're all born in this world. People ask the question, you know, are you a born leader or is leadership something that you acquire through training and skill? What's the answer to that question, Mike? Do you know? Am I putting you on the spot? Who do you think besides Jesus is the most influential leader in history? I would say the most influential leader other than Jesus Christ in human history is his mother Mary. She's exercising tremendous influence in the world today. I mean, there's multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people who literally pray every day. I mean, there's, there's hundreds and hundreds of millions of people who pray the rosary every day and are looking to Mary for And they're literally following her. And they're following her little way. And she's a true leader. Why is she a true leader? You guys tell me. Why is she a true leader? Because she's helping people find their true home. She's bringing them all the way home. People are following them. And her leadership is perfectly united to the heart of the one leader. And she's serving her son's purpose. And she's following his leadership. That's influence. Right? Because look, there's lots of people in history that have exercised influence and have exercised leadership. Somebody mentioned Adolf Hitler. The guy was quite a leader. I mean, he, he, was, he influenced an enormous number of people. You just, just watch the videos from when, when Germany was just starting to come to power and all those gigantic rallies and everybody was excited and pumped up. And I, I kind of find it crazy to, when I hear his t- speeches and stuff, I never, I look at him and I think, how could anybody follow that guy? But that's, this guy had enormous influence, but he was not a true leader because he was not leading people into their, you know, according to their identity, not leading them into their purpose and helping them find their destiny. So he was a false leader. Number three, a leader, leadership is exercised in a way that moves people toward goodness and the kingdom of God. What's that beautiful passage in Philippians, I think it's 4.8, where, where Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is beautiful, right? Fix your mind and heart on these things. Why is that so important? Because you were, you were made by God, and what God has made is good. You're destined, you're made for something more than everything in this, that this world can deliver for you or cause you to pursue. You're made for goodness. Uh, what Aristotle said, the good is that at which all things aim. Any, any philosophy students in the class here today? Right? Didn't he say that, right? The good, God is good. God alone is good. You are made for God. You were made for God. You're made for God, and that's not bad news. That's good news. We can feel like, oh, man, I mean, we think about rules and commandments and how I fall short and all this kind of stuff, which is just not it at all. You, were made, you, you are good because God made you. You are personally designed by God because He wants you to share in His eternal goodness and beauty and truth, Right? Jesus came to make it possible. He hung on that cross so you could come into living in that goodness for all eternity. So a leader keeps in mind the good for a person, right? So you don't don't lead people in a way that's inconsistent with their, their ultimate character and nature. We see it opposite of that all the time. Just let me take a real dramatic and kind of obvious 
leadership in the wrong direction. We all know that in the last few decades, pornography has risen to be like, it's ubiquitous. It's a gigantic business. And there's tons of people, tons of young men and even young women now, and old men and people who are trapped in this. And what people who are leading it, what do they see? They see money. They see power. They see influence. They see a a place to make a lot of money. So they ignore the goodness of the person. They ignore what this person's even made for. It's not even on their radar. They don't care. Because this gets to the next one. Leadership respects the proper dignity of those who are being led. So it doesn't matter if a multitude of people are following in a direction, if you're leading them in a way that is not consistent with their dignity, in the case of, like, pornography, but that's just a a kind of a dark, dramatic one, but we see it all the time. We see people use their influence and look at human beings as a means and not an end. What does that mean? As a means and not not an end. I see you as a means for me to make a lot of money or for me to get ahead and get power. I saw it, I saw it this week with, I mean, with Chuck Schumer. Now, I'm not making a political statement that I'm on one side, this or that or the other, but I found it very interesting that, uh, you know, they, they interviewed, the Senate committee interviewed uh, Judge Gorsuch. You know, do you guys follow that at all? Okay, and um, I mean, it was hard to not like that guy listening to him. And he, and they all loved him, you know, be, to get on the federal bench. They just loved him. And they gave him the highest marks possible. And he has an amazing record, right? And so I heard Chuck Schumer say yesterday, he's got to figure out a way to not get this guy into place, right? He, they don't want him to be in there. But the way he said it was, well, when he got on the bench, he became a totally different person. And he tried to scramble to make a case for that, and it looked silly. It really looked silly. And he was trying to make him out to look like he's a bad man. And at the end of the day, he's got a goal in mind. He feels like it's my responsibility as the leadership of this party. i got to destroy this guy. And if I have to tell a few lies or I have to mischaracterize this guy, I'll do it because we've got a larger goal in mind. And we see that in our society all the time now, which is the end justifies the means. So if I have to use a person to get to the goal of making a lot more money for a lot of people or to a position of power or whatever it is, I will do that. And what it does, you might end up making a boatload of money. You may end up leading your political party in a particular way, but you actually failed to recognize the dignity of the people that you're tearing apart. And it's a kind of, it's just bad leadership. It's not good leadership. And interestingly enough, we fail to remember we're going to have to give an account to the Lord about how we exercised our leadership. And I don't think it's going to work for us in that moment to say, hey, but you know, I had the big goal in mind. I was going to make a lot more money for a lot more people. So the only way I could see to do it was to to take advantage, to lie about this person or to make a sale. I kind of told a half-truth about that car I was selling. What they don't know don't hurt them, right? Right? Because after all, I've got to pay my employees, and after all, I've got, right, all that stuff. It's a constant battle for us. What kind of leader am I going to be? And a true leader understands that the person who's standing before me, whether they act like it or whether they look like it, is a person of infinite dignity because they bear the stamp and the image 
of their creator and the leader of the universe thought so much of them that he laid down his life and he died for them, even though they don't understand their own value. That's the purpose, part of the purpose for which he came. So this challenge is before us all the time, and it's, really, it's a really practical checking or something like this. I'll pick on myself. I'm a public speaker. So I'm in front of a big crowd, and I'm talking, telling a story, and all of a sudden, sometimes something will come to my mind that slightly embellishes the story a little bit. You know what I mean? Have you ever experienced that, Mike? You probably never have. Okay. Um, it's an Ann Arbor thing. I'm from Ann Arbor, I confess, okay? Bunch of liars up there is what it is, right? Bunch of cheats and liars up in Ann Arbor, right? <laughs> and and, I, and I've, I've actually done it where I sort of, I didn't like think through it, but I just sort of embellished a little bit. Some people call it like a preacher story. You know, it's sort of not completely true, but he's trying to make a point. But you know what I was doing there without even understanding it? I was, I was trying to flatter people. I was trying to try to get people, I was, try, I was manipulating people, I wasn't giving them the truth, and the truth only. And the reason I should never flatter, or Jesus never flattered, you'll notice that, he spoke the truth and spoke the truth in love, is it fails, I fail to recognize the dignity of that person. That person was made for truth and goodness, and I just, I just gave a little bit of a little white lie, there is no such thing. But anyway, I actually didn't tell the truth because I wanted a response from them. That manipulates them. It doesn't remember who they are and their dignity. And it's wrong. So see, Rich, it's not just car dealers, right? So always remembering the proper dignity of the person. It's a crucial part of leadership. And boy, don't we need it today. Seriously, I mean, a, a family, a society, a political community is only as healthy and as strong as its leaders. It seems like we have some leadership challenge in the culture currently. I mean, it's, it's kind of wild what we're living through. And I think people are scrambling, trying to figure out how to lead. And too many people are trying to, which way is the wind blowing? Where's the, where's, the, where's the herd going so I can make sure that I look like I'm leading the herd so I can keep my position? And we lose sight of this stuff. We lose sight of this stuff. And it's something that's, I think, it, it grounds leadership. It's so important. Okay, and that it works through the whole spiritual and moral being of the leader. Maybe that one sounds more obscure than anything we've talked about so far. What do you think that means? It works through, leadership works through the whole spiritual and moral sort of center of the person. Go ahead and throw out any ideas you might have there. Integrity, Integrity of the person. Yeah. You want, go ahead. Respect. Respect. I think one of the things that, that we know and what the church is such a tremendous help for us in is that we come to Christ in faith, we see the vision, but there's a lot in me that still doesn't want to walk that clear path, right? And so over time, what the church teaches is we, we're fed. We're fed with truth and the like, and then we develop virtue. The virtue the church teaches a lot about virtues, and it's really important. What are the, what are the, what are, what are the virtues? What are the cardinal virtues? You remember those, you guys? Anybody remember those? Uh, <clears throat> prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. And the theological virtues are faith, hope, and love, right? These are, Thomas Aquinas would say, what the Christian community brought to the world, building on Aristotle and the Greeks is understanding that these 
these habits of behavior, these habits of orienting ourselves is how you define, how you can understand in a whole way what, is the, what constitutes the Christian person. And so taking on these habits, like the habit of, of courage or fortitude is a, is a good one. Uh, fortitude and courage, I mean, prudence is a good one. Prudence is a virtue, for example, that the way it's put by a really great uh, teacher, Joseph Pieper, if you ever get a book by Joseph Pieper on the virtues, devour it. He's the best there is, period, in the Catholic world. But prudence, real simply. He says, okay, I'm coming up to, uh, I'm coming up to this decision. I'm, I can make a decision whether I'm going to be honest with this customer about the potential problems on the used car that I'm going to be selling him. What do you do? What it may not know doesn't hurt him. What I have to do then is I'm, prudence helps me to stop and perceive reality as it is. And what's the reality that comes at me from my customer? This is God's child. This is God's son. This child was made for truth. You cannot lie. So prudence helps me lay hold of reality and then maybe courage in the situation like, I got to sell this car. I, I need the money. And, and well, it takes some courage to put away your fear and say, I'm not going to live a lie in any way, shape, or form. I'm going to summon the habit, I'm going to summon the right kind of attitude and disposition toward this person that's going to allow me to be virtuous, right? Does that make sense? I hope this isn't too, too classroomy from you, but uh, it's important to be able to see. So the whole person, so leadership in our life as Catholics is we know it's a lifelong process of growing in virtue. And the more virtuous I am, the more free I am. And the more free I am, the more I'm going to be able to see reality as it is, and the more I conform to reality as it is, and the truth that's there, the more I'm going to align myself with the Lord's purposes, and the more He's going to be able to use me, and He's going to entrust more to me. Remember what He says? Those who are faithful in little things are going to be given more. He wants to entrust much more into our hands. And I, mean, I think that's partly what happened with you. I mean, you, you, God made it possible for you to be here, to, to grow, to, to do what you're doing. He trusts you. And there's, there's a reason why you were the fourth, what were you, you guys, the fourth customer service. Yeah. The number four customer service at all of GMC, is that right? Yeah, Volkswagen. The Volkswagen all in the whole country? Yeah. In the whole country. How about that? Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> and I guarantee you it's related to the nature of the kind of people who are here. And your desire as a leader for this place to be filled with goodness and to treat people with dignity. And you're, you're being blessed by it in this case. Doesn't always turn out that way, but you are. Okay? How much time? We done? Uh, you got, uh, you got four five, minutes? Five, ten minutes? Four minutes. Okay. Now. Okay. He said four to ten minutes. I like that. You're my kind of guy. The, the, uh, I'll end with a, another concrete example. So, here you are in a dealership. And you've got, you've got working relationships together. How do we collectively guard the unity, or the way the Ephesians, Paul talks about Ephesians, how do we guard the unity and the bond of peace that's right-ordered relationships that God wants to bring here? We're vigilant. Scripture says be vigilant. Be vigilant what? That we literally are trying, we're living the principles here the best we can. But we know, like the virtues, the habits, the commandments, we're trying to live those out here. But we know in human relationships there's problems, right? For example, um, 
There's a passage in the scripture that says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Ever heard that one? Okay, do you, do you ever have a conflict with a fellow employee where it really ticked you off? Or let, let me create a scenario. Uh, maybe I'll put it on my lap. Maybe I, at one point, in order to get ahead or to cover my backside because I didn't get done what I was supposed to get done, maybe blamed it on someone else or or made it look like somebody else was responsible for something that I was responsible for because I wanted to duck it. You think stuff like that ever happens? Right? You blame it on... Right out, it's right out of Eden, right? No, he did it or she did it, right? It's, it's, it's as old as it gets, literally. And so a lot of times in organizations, those things happen and they, they go undealt with. And as a, as a leader, if I know I've done that, the tendency is to say, oh, it's, it's going to be okay. It's not that big of a deal. We, we can try to convince ourselves it's going to be okay. And I say, wait a minute. I'm a leader. I'm responsible. I'm planted here. I care about this, the people who live here or work here, and I care about where this company's going and who we are. And I just sowed something into our social network here, into our life, that really can become a source of division. And if we're divided, we're not going to be as effective. And I know what the master wants of me. So I've got to summon the humility and the courage to say, hey, Rich, you got a minute? Could I talk to you? Sure, come on in. I know you're busy. Could you sit down? Hey, see, I, I want to tell you something. You know, yesterday, the manager, you know, the assistant manager came to me and he, you know, asked me whatever, why I didn't get something done and I, and I blamed it on you. <laughs> Which he thought was funny. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and, I, and I blamed it on you to duck my responsibility. And I essentially told a lie. And I told a lie about you. And that brings down, that, that really, it, it, it harms your, your character and who you are if I speak against you in that way. And I want to come to you, I'm asking you, Rich, I just wanted to tell you that that happened. I want to tell you it was wrong. And I ask you for your forgiveness. Would you please forgive me for that? Because I don't ever want to do that again. Right? And he'll, he's going to look at me and he's going to say, you're fired, you turkey. No, right? No. <laughs> And he's going to look at me and something inside him may feel like, I don't want to, I don't, why should I forgive you? And what kind of guy are you? Why would you do this to me? All those human emotions, right? And now he's got, as a leader, needs to live under the lordship of Christ and do what is pleasing to Christ. And the Lord wants you to be able to forgive me 70 times, 7 times a day if that's possible. So you have to summon up the strength and the virtue to say, you make the decision, I'm going to forgive you and I'm not going to hold on to that offense that you've made against me. And that means I'm not going to go to the water cooler and talk about you with other people who I want to gather around me so, so, so I can sort of get back at you. You know what I mean? All those human habits and, 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 and desires and things, the disorder that's, that's there, we have to be able to say, rise above it and say, Jesus, how do I handle this mistake I just made? Or how do I handle the hurt that just came to me by one of my fellow employees. And we got to follow him. And if we follow him, he'll help maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace because he wants to be glorified even in your business. And you know, you don't have to be preaching to people for that to happen. But you have to have, but if this, this is a community, a unity of people whose heart is really set on 
you know, fulfilling what you're here for, but have a deep concern for your customer, you know if you're divided and you're speaking against one another, it's not pleasing to God, it's very bad leadership, and it's going to break down what we're trying to do. Does that make sense? Okay, that's the end. We're done. All right, God bless. Close in a prayer, and then do Q and A. Or do you want to? Do you want to, Anybody want to comment or raise a question? Yeah. I think there's one element of leadership that really wasn't addressed, but I think would be the sixth element, and that is service. Mm. Leader, by definition, it's right there. Yeah. Is a servant. Yeah. And serves for the good of those being led. Yep. And if you miss that, uh, you missed it all. Yeah. So I missed it all. No. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, it's actually right here in my notes. The number one step, I didn't even read my own notes. It said, you know, Jesus said, a true leader is one who serves, you know. I come to you as one who serves. He washed her feet. That's really true. I've got, been kind of saying it indirectly. We're all serving. You know, Jesus served the Father. And in, in being a leader, the first person I serve always is Christ in every situation. What is Christ's purpose? How would he how would he desire me to relate in this situation? So it's, it's really important to do that. You serve the Lord, and then you serve the person. So that's it. And the other thing, ultimately, I forgot to say that's really important, is we're ultimately made for love. I mean, that's, that's what's communicated on the cross. And what is love? Is it a feeling and an emotion? No, it's to will the good of another as other. So as other meaning, I see the dignity of this person. That's the fact of who he is. Whether I like him or not, I'm called, if I'm a disciple, to will his good. So I won't do anything to harm him or deceive him or anything like that. So those two things I actually underlined three times and didn't even mention. So, all right. Go ahead. What I want to say kind of goes off of that. I've been, uh, the last two weeks, I've been reflecting on this one passage of uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And, uh, and the, the one verse in there that, that keeps standing out to me as far as what leadership really is, is uh, John 13, 3. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and girded himself with a towel. So it's like, it's, it's his confidence, because he knows who he is, he knows where he comes from and where he's going to, that he's able to serve. And, and in, in order to for us to be able to serve others, we need to first ground ourselves in the confidence that God is our Father and that God sent us and we are going back to yeah. Him. That's part of the participation. That same reality gets passed on to us. Where have we come from? We've come from God. That's literally where we've come from. And Jesus gives over to us a share in His authority. And we exercise that authority remembering that Jesus is bringing us all back to where we've came from, to the Father, right? And so we're sharing in an authority that belongs to Him, and He gives us the Holy Spirit to be able to impact and influence people to help bring them back to the same place. So it's really an, an amazing, dignifying thing, and it's a, such a clarifying thing for us, I think, if we see that the same pattern, we imitate the pattern that the Father did with Jesus. Jesus knew where he came from. And the Father gave over to Jesus responsibility and authority. And that's what he's done with us. And we really are, when we get to heaven, one of the things he's going to say is, what did you do with what I gave you? You know? It's a really good reflection for Lent. Really good. Okay? Thank you for that. That's good. Okay, anybody else?
Tim. Could you speak to the, um, that idea of exercise, exercising influence in the sense of, you know, Mary, when she was on earth, she really exercised influence over Christ and Joseph. I mean, her influence didn't really go broader than that. But the concept of discipleship in today's world, because I feel like that's something that's really lacking in the Catholic Church, if you will. How many, or what are we called to do as leaders when it comes to discipling others? And what is the, the width or the breadth we're looking to disciple? I mean, I'd be happy to say a few things, but I think you have some things that in your own. Would you like to share some of your own thoughts about it? Uh, sure. Uh, the, uh, there's a great pastor who moved from Cincinnati to Cleveland because he felt called to by God to open this church in Cleveland. That he was very frustrated the very couple, first couple months that uh, no one came to church except this one gentleman. And so he went to the Lord and said, Lord, why do you only send me one guy? And the Lord said, well, you haven't been faithful to him, so I'm not going to send you anybody else. So it's just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why should I duplicate your incompetence or something, right? Is that what Jesus is saying? Or multiply it, right? I think there's a temptation to want to have broad influence, but if we're not you know, pouring ourselves out into one person, you know, giving everything we have as servants to, you know, wife or child, whatever it may be, you know, we should forget about everything else in that sense. So, but there's also this sense of, like, I feel like as a young man, I was never a disciple. Mm-hmm. My father just wasn't some part of his faith. And it was really some Protestant brothers in the faith that came alongside me and, and started to disciple me and care about me, really invest their lives in me. But I feel like that's something we're missing yeah, I, I think the mentoring and accompanying, you notice those words, the accompaniment is coming out in Pope Francis's words quite a bit because we're talking about evangelization and evangelization begins with, the mission of the church begins with encountering Christ and coming into a relationship with him. But Jesus, Jesus showed us the model. I mean, he lived, he had 12, he gathered 12 guys around him where he invested the majority of his time. He spoke to big crowds. He had other disciples who heard him preach and teach, but he invested in a small number of people to pass on to them really what belonged to him, to, to make sure they understood who he was, why he was here, and how they part, they're called to participate in what he has made them do. So I think it's, it, the, because we've been in a maintenance mode for so long in the Catholic Church, like, what do I mean by that? You know, for 1,500 years, Christendom was the nature of how the church existed in the world. That is, what, is main, what does Christendom mean? It's the time when almost every country the Catholic Church was in across Europe and here was was very respectful of the Ten Commandments, respectful, it was, you know, it made, you know, Catholics were respected in society. Bishops had big influence in cities, and many, many people were coming to church, and the church was just receiving people, giving them the sacraments and teaching, and, and was maintaining and maintenance in maybe the best sense of that term, but now we're in a place where where the, where the church is shrinking, where people are moving away from the church, baptized people, and they're not just coming and a part of a living, vital community in the way they used to be. Now we got to go out and get people and bring them back. They don't know why they should be there. They don't know exactly what it means to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And it's not enough just to say it to people. You've got to bring people into a network of relationships and to accompany them very personally to help them say, as Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We're all doing the same thing. We're all imitating Christ. So people say, well, how do I do that? I mean, literally, I'm a busy guy. I got a big job. I got this, that. How do I do that? And it's not easy to figure it out on your own. That's why you got to have older brothers, older sisters, or people anointed to take you by the hand and accompany you and help you just keep growing and maturing. That piece is not present hardly at all in the Catholic Church. And that's a piece that's being restored, I think. 
You know, you see it in ministries. You see it in movements quite a bit in the Catholic movements of the church, the neocatechumenate movement, for example, or focolare. There's a lot of attention on discipling people to a place of maturity. Even something like focus, you know, is trying to do that. It's trying to do the spiritual multiplication thing. You know, it's help people meet the Lord, walk with them through their college years, help them mature to the point where they become actual people who know how to reach out and to accompany others themselves, you know. So there's, it's emerging. And, I mean, 15 years, 20 years ago, it was hardly anywhere to be found in the church, but it's, is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. I think, well, since I want to be like Rich, I'll use him as an example. Yeah. yeah. He, he runs the organization here. Should he be intentionally thinking about, I should be looking for, for men or women in my, in my organization to disciple? Or is it just he leads as a leader here in the organization and he's not intentionally praying and looking for them? I mean, no, I, th- I think, um, in, you know, just to speak... On your behalf, Rich. <laughs> You're planted here. I mean, you, you, with your gifts and your talents, your strategy and loans from the bank and other kind of things got you here, right? Because you felt led here, too. And the Lord's planted you here not just to sell cars, though that's the main job you guys do, to sell cars and take care of your customers. He, always wa- he also wants you to have an impact. And so I know you pray every day for this place. I know you pray for all of your employees. I know you pray for your customers. And I know you're wide open to whatever the Lord is leading you to do. And he might lead you at some point with some of your employees to want to take them deeper, like offer the possibility of taking them deeper in the faith and accompanying them in the faith. I mean, this is, this is kind of what he's doing right here in this meeting right here. I mean, he, I mean, this is actually happening in his dealership. You know, we're a bunch of folks gathering in Lent in the middle of the day to talk about this stuff. And so he's using his influence to do that. And I know many different, both Catholic and Protestant business people, executives, others who are literally like taking employees who are interested and they felt right about inviting into to a, through a process of discipleship. You know, personally, reading God's Word with them, getting together once or twice a week, talking to them about their life and their own growth and, and helping them along the way. So that's happening. But you, in order for you to feel comfortable doing it, usually you have to have somebody who's helped you through it yourself. So you kind of get what the process is, unless you're just kind of a natural raw leader who jumps in and goes for it because you feel an impulse to do it. So it's becoming more organized in the church, and I think it will more and more in the future. So, okay, last one. How difficult is it to do what Pete is talking about in your marriage and home first? Yeah. How do you do that? And what words might you have to encourage many Catholics who in their hearts want to do that, but and sometimes it's the most difficult place? Yeah. I'd tell them just to join Mass Impact. I think that'd be the basic thing. No, 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 no. No, I mean, oh, I mean, literally, uh, the, the place we do start is in the family. And I think it can be sometimes the hardest place. If you've never seen it in your own, you know, it didn't happen when you grew up, to suddenly become, as a, as a father, for example, spiritual leader, leader of the family, as a couple, being before the Lord together every day and praying for and strategically thinking through a plan of how do I raise up my children as disciples of Jesus? How do I accompany my kids? How do I get the right people around them? You know, and and for Debbie and I, it was the great adventure. It's really challenging, but you know, we've got four kids out of the house and by God's grace, they're all serving the Lord. I mean, they're in their careers, but they have families and they're raising their families in the Lord. But it was a big investment and, and we just made a decision. Our top priority before the Lord was these kids. And it required, it wasn't going to happen by osmosis, sort of like it happened in my family. It was like automatic pilot. 
but I had to, Debbie and I had to, lots of days where we're on our knees, where we're strategically thinking, how are we going to help our child get through this or that? Where are we leading them? What do we hope they will be as they leave the house? Just, in, just kids who had a good education are ready to go to a good school? No, they, we want them to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we got a lot of help in doing that. And things like Mass Impact and the movements and maybe some dynamic parishes, I would just find out if you don't feel like you have it, you don't feel like you, you have the confidence you need or a clear vision about how to do it, is say, I want to go talk to people who seem to be doing it and they seem to understand it. And I want to grab them and say, help me. Help me think through this. Right? I, I would recommend anybody to do that. Lord Jesus, you were given authority by the Father. Through you, all things were made for you and by you. And we recognize that you are the leader the Father has given to the world for the sake of its salvation. We ask you in this season of Lent to purify each of us and to help us see what you've called us to and the place you've given to us and help us to see it clearly so we can be fruitful as you call us to bear fruit in our life. And Lord, I ask your blessing on this place. I ask your blessing on Rich and all of his employees, the whole business here, that you would continue to bless it, let it prosper, and then your name be glorified in the process. In your name we pray. Amen. Cause you are strong. You are sure. You are alive. You endure. You are good. Always true. You listening to a very special Holy Week edition of Ignite Radio Live. Very blessed to have our brother Peter Herbeck up the road from us in the Ann Arbor area, and uh, such a blessing he has been to Mass Impact. I just want to alert you folks as you're listening right now to a great event coming up on Pentecost, June 4th. It's our second annual Praying with Fire conference. Peter, in fact, is going to be speaking there again also, uh, giving us the seven keys to living a missioned community. Very excited to have that. It'll be followed by what we call an ablaze. So I invite you to put that on your calendar and find out more at massimpact.us forward slash fire. Again, Praying with Fire Conference, June 4th, Pentecost evening. It'll be at Corpus Christi. Um, register right now. In fact, I'll tell you the secret code. Um, you can say you're special. Um, it's F-I-R-E. You get 50% off for the next couple days. You can get 50% off the tickets, which are already very, very low. But massimpact.us fire. Have a most blessed Holy Week and Easter. We 
want to invite you to join us every day in setting aside just one minute to pray a simple prayer to the Holy Spirit. Join us now as we pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. For ourselves we pray. O most Holy Spirit, come and ignite the great fire of your love. Set it ablaze in our minds and hearts. For all families we pray. O Most Holy Spirit, come and ignite the great fire of your love. Set it ablaze in our minds and hearts. For our church and our parish in particular, we pray. O Most Holy Spirit, come and ignite the great fire of your love. Set it ablaze in our minds and hearts. For our world, we pray. O Most Holy Spirit, come and ignite the great fire of your love. Set it ablaze in our minds and hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. That's it. Pretty simple, but pretty powerful. Join the prayer at MassImpact.us. Not just a moment, a movement. You know, Mass Impact and Ignite has been gone across the Northwest Ohio now for, for months, and, and thousands of people, literally thousands of people in our diocese have experienced that love. We believe that he said what he meant and meant what he said. When he proclaimed that his body is real food and his blood is real drink. Simply put, Mass Impact is a nonprofit movement seeking the heart of God in the very heart of his Catholic Church. Uh, people just keep kept coming and coming. Not just in a moment, but, but to surrender their entire lives. We desire our hearts to be moved by what moves his. And to see that happening monthly. We are responding to an urgent call in an urgent time. The recent popes, John Paul said, now's the time. This is the moment. We are taking big steps in faith throughout our diocese and beyond. I want to buckle my chin strap and take the field. And we are seeing tremendous growth. I mean, I'm just roused and emboldened to mission, to do something. We cannot do it alone. We need you right now. Please partner with us. Go to massimpact.us right now and click on the Contribute tab. If you and I respond in faith right now, we will see souls in heaven who would not have been there had we said no. It was nothing short of amazing. Does it have that same kind of effect on you? Please go to massimpact.us and contribute. It's time to move.